0: You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys, Tim Takas, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takas McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 66 of Aging Starts Now. I'm Tim Takis, a certified elder law attorney and a partner here at Takas McGinnis Elder Care Law. Today, we are talking about hospice. Joining us today is Alyssa Drescher, the Grief Center Director at Alive Hospice. Welcome, Allie.
2: Hi, thanks so much for having me. Okay,
1: so tell us briefly about hospice.
2: Well, a brief story of hospice, we would have to look at what we know as the contemporary or modern hospice model, especially here in the United States, which really launched in the mid-70s into the early 80s. Uh, Dame Cicely Saunders, you've probably heard this name before, if you're familiar with the rise of the hospice movement, was really a uh, where this idea stemmed from that we can companion with people at the end of life and create a a different circumstance for them so that they have more support, more encouragement, and are still really considered a patient all the way through the death and dying process. So she looked at people that she served as wholly functioning, living, breathing people, and not just a patient in a bed. And this idea in America that came about in the early 80s and was just a fantastic change to a medicalized model of care and an idea that maybe um, there wasn't much we could do if someone was faced with a terminal illness. So, A live hospice is a part of that very early movement toward hospice care in America. In fact, we're the second oldest hospice in America having been founded here in Middle Tennessee just a year after the first hospice was originated in our country. So we're uh, really thrilled to have been a part of that initial movement and then still be able to provide that type of care to those that we serve even throughout uh, today. So what makes someone eligible for hospice care is if they have a terminal illness with a life expectancy of six months or less. There are a few more, uh, diagnostic criteria that fall into play there, but that's basically the crux of it. So if you're looking at a person that has a life-limiting condition and that prognosis is six months or less, they're going to be eligible for hospice care.
1: Mm-hmm. So how is, how is hospice care different from palliative care?
2: Well, hospice care is distinctly different from palliative care, although they have a lot of similarities and overlap. So both of them, palliative care and hospice care, the goal is to provide comfort. They also both use a model that is really focused in on what we call the interdisciplinary team. And that means chaplains, social workers, medical providers, all working in tandem to consider the whole person and not just the disease progression. The difference is that palliative care can begin at the time of diagnosis and at the same time as a person is being treated for their illness. Whereas hospice care begins after the treatment of the disease has stopped And when it's pretty evident that that person is not going to be able to survive their illness.
1: So is it a, I guess, is is it a fair characterization to say that maybe hospice care really is a Medicare benefit? It, you know,
2: is, it is a Medicare benefit, it's also a philosophy, so okay. it is this notion that really that person uh, deserves a quality of life until the very end, a dignified death, uh, to be able to contribute to the choices that are made in, the, in those last stages of life to be comforted in that process. So from a philosophical perspective, it's pretty strong, but it is also a Medicare benefit. And I think one of the biggest misnomers about hospice care is that people wonder when they should initiate it. And because we have a significant emphasis on treatment of disease and hopefully being you know, the one that has a different outcome than what maybe those journal medical studies are telling us, we might not be too quick to engage engage with hospice care. But a person can receive hospice, that benefit, uh, for at least six months, if not longer. In fact, we have people that we've served for years on our hospice service. And that's something that we want everyone to know, that you're eligible to have this service available to you, not just in the last days or weeks of your life, but far before that. And it doesn't indicate, you know, some sort of giving up or surrendering to illness. It is a shift in one's idea that although we might not like the outcome that is looming because of this illness, we still have the opportunity to make something of the weeks and months ahead. And when we can make that shift and start to really hope for something different, maybe not being healed, but hoping for a quality of life experience all the way into the end, then that's when a person's really eligible for hospice, Mm -hmm. if you will.
1: So, is hospice a place? Is do, is it some place where you go,
2: it's like a, great- a hospital
1: or a, or a? medical facility?
2: Such a great question. Thanks for asking that. So even the word hospice is rooted in this notion of being hospitable or playing host to someone. And a hospice can be a place. Here at Alive, we have two residential facilities, one in Nashville and one in Murfreesboro. And sometimes people really appreciate having a place to go at the end of life. Um, Maybe they just feel like caring for their loved one at home is stressful. Um, Maybe they feel like it would be difficult to enter back into that space after the death and they would rather that happen off-site where they want to rely on uh, medical staff that's available at any hour of the day. And so they might decide to participate in hospice actually at one of our residences. And of course, there are hospitals and other hospice residential facilities across the country as well but a hospice in and of itself is a type of care and a service that's provided. So many of the people that we serve actually live at home until the end of their life because that's their okay. personal preference and then our hospice care comes to them at their residence providing care in whatever way they need it.
1: Mm-hmm. So we t- we were men- you mentioned a little bit ago about Medicare or hospice being a Medicare benefit. Does, to your knowledge, does Medicare pay for all of these hospice services?
2: Well, there are different levels of Medicare. And not everyone will be fully paid by their Medicare benefit, although many are. And what makes Alive special is that we provide charity care to fill in the gap for people that may not be able to have full coverage through their Medicare benefit. So annually, we give about $2 million in charity care to patients who may not be able to afford hospice care on their own, or maybe to individuals that don't have the uh, appropriate environment in their living space to be able to, you know, be safe and comfortable at the time of death. And so they might come to one of our residential facilities. But at Alive, we work to never turn away someone based on an ability to pay and find a way to cover the rest of the expenses that they might not have covered in that initial Medicare benefit.
1: So, Allie, how, uh, how has the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh- Affected uh, live hospice, you know, and also uh, you know what what you've been seeing how how things have changed with hospice.
2: Hmm. I would say that. One thing we've really focused on at Alive is to give the same high quality of care that we would regardless of the pandemic. It might have had to be behind a mask or appropriate CDC-recommended PPE, if you will, Uh, but we've been able to continue our care in the way that we would have beforehand. It is unfortunate, though, that the pandemic has certainly made a new way for people to connect with the person who's been dying. Maybe they haven't had the same amount of access to them as they would like um, maybe you know some visitation has been limited especially in the in the height of the pandemic uh, we've really worked to creatively find ways to connect people with their loved ones and we've really had to think about new ways of communication using telehealth to meet their needs we have the Henry hooker iPad connect program here at alive which allows patients to have an iPad at their homes to be able to directly reach their nurses and their care team but also you know know, might might be FaceTiming their loved one at the bedside or creating audio recordings for people to get a message to their loved one. Unfortunately, a lot of that is beginning to reset. But it definitely has an impact for a grieving person. Uh, right. For the grieving individuals that we see here at Alive's Grief Center, we notice that there's a little bit more distress in their grief right now. It feels more painful and acute because they have this other layer of things that have happened this last year uh, that are intensifying their grief. And then we've seen a change in the typical time in which someone reaches out for grief support. And that's tending to happen a little bit earlier than it used to. So typically we might see someone engage in grief counseling maybe three or six months after the loss. And right now in the midst of COVID grief, we're seeing that come a lot more quickly between one to three months. So I think there's a a layer here of people feeling like maybe they didn't have quite the opportunity to have uh, the death experience look like what they wanted it to. But it's also that there's a basic what we would call violation of the assumptive world right now. And that means just that the things that we thought would happen in our lives haven't been able to happen because of the pandemic. And our general sense of safety and security in the world around us is being threatened because of the pandemic. And, you know, maybe generally we go to the grocery store and we feel pretty safe, uh, but that's changed during the last year. And therefore, there's a grief response to that. Whether we've had a loved one die by COVID or whether we're just living in the midst of the covid pandemic so people used to ask us you know is a covid death experience or grief really different and in a lot of ways it is because it has that extra layer on top of it but in the same way we all grieve and we are grieving losses whether it happened in our own household or down the street from us we vicariously grieve and therefore we have you know considerable amount of people in our community right now that are just really hurting and need some extra support. And that's okay.
1: So you have, I think you mentioned you having support groups um, at Alive.
2: Yes, we do. We provide individual counseling with licensed clinicians. And in addition to that, we have a myriad of groups. We have a couple of different group models just to meet different people's needs. We have a series of monthly groups that are open and ongoing. And that means a person can join anytime they want to, and they can stay for as long as they want to, or as few groups as they want to. Those are all loss-specific So we have a COVID loss group, we have a mother's loss group, we have a widowed men's group, and the list goes on. And then we have an eight-week grief group series that's called Grief Journey, and those start seasonally. And those are closed, time-limited groups, meaning that the people that start that group are going to be in the group together that whole time and then end together as a group. So it's just a little bit different model. And in addition to that, we have a lot of. Uh, experiences that people can come and engage with their grief in creative ways, or maybe through walking or hiking. Just a few weeks ago, we walked a labyrinth at a local church to have some contemplative time. We'll have drum circles and art experiences. Mm-hmm. Our goal at lives Grief Center is to create ways that people can connect to their grief in the way that they're most comfortable. And it can be pretty tough to come and talk about something that is so painful and so traumatic. And sometimes people really benefit connecting to their grief while actually doing something or being creative. I like to think of it that who you are going into the loss shapes how you experience it and therefore how you'll express your grief. So if you're a person that typically you know works out a lot to kind of de-stress, then it's likely that that's going to help you in your grief experience. And so we create lots of different avenues for people to do that. Right.
1: So how do people find out more about your programs
2: The easiest thing to do is just to visit alivehospice.org backslash grief if they're looking for grief support. There is also a camps page there as well. We have a pediatric grief camp we will hold at YMCA Camp WidjiWagon later on this year in August. So if they go to alivehospice.org backslash camps, they'll find information about how to volunteer or how to register a camper there. And then we also have a page on our website. It is the Institute page, and they'll learn more about just in general what hospice is, kind of what we talked about in this interview, those differences between hospice and palliative care, what the criteria is, etc. So that's really great for professionals and lay people alike. I, I think one other thing for people to remember is that a doctor doesn't have to make this phone call to make a referral to hospice, and many of them do not do come that way. But if you are caring for someone with a life-limiting terminal illness, uh, go ahead and reach out to us, and we can walk you through the process and let you know maybe what you'd be looking for and where they might be in the trajectory of their illness to know then when it might be time to call and go ahead and get on our service.
1: So, so get that information, and it's available. From, your, from the website, also just a phone call to a live hospice. Yes. Great. Well, that's it for today's episode. Allie, thanks for being with us today.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Take Us McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now.
0: Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com document downloads, the Take Us McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there, free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen we would love your feedback on the show. Aging starts now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.